In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today's episode is going to be so good you'll almost pee your pants. We're remaking Pretty Woman with guest Tame Hatsio. So, Tame, is Pretty Woman a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? It absolutely should be remade. Love it. So, uh, before we get into this, just so the audience knows who they're listening to, Tame, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. I'm a film and television maker, and I have a production company called Metahara Productions. I produce and direct anything from true crime shows for Discovery Channel to music videos and commercials, and I've been in the industry for about 24 years. Cool. And when did you first see Pretty Woman? Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't know. I think it was probably around 20 years ago. I think it's been a very, very, very long time. I remember that I didn't like it, and I don't remember why I didn't like it, but I really didn't like it. And so I'm glad I got to rewatch it. Because this time you did like it? This time I know so much more about the industry, and I know that Gary Marshall made it, and so... When I realized that Gary Marshall, the man who gave us Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and The Odd Couple, when I realized that it was he who directed it, I knew to expect like the, well, a different take on on street street sex work and uh, an escort work. So, yeah, I think I was a little more forgiving. <laughs> and I, I love Gary Marshall. I love his work. <clears throat> you know, he changed my childhood. So uh, he's a great, he's a great man, great director, and as is his daughter. Uh, so yeah, so I just I watched it with completely different eyes. I would absolutely remake it very differently. There is much that I uh, think is really wrong for today. So when if I had the opportunity to direct it, and that's what I would want to do, um, it would be much more in the vein of 70s style filmmaking, much less 80s style. And what I mean by that is that it would be more realistic. Got it. A lot well, more gritty. Yeah. You, totally different You'd style. make it gritty is what you just said? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> Which is yeah, but different... that's just your flavor anyway. You want to make everything more gritty. It is true. I do like I do like grit, and yeah, I would definitely give it a completely different flavor. I think today's audience would like somebody who could more realistically work on the street for many years and and not already become an escort. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like if one somebody of the looks that, like Julia Roberts, yeah, you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, Julia Roberts, you, you you haven't worked on the street for very long. Right. And also, if uh, so, she was 26. He was, I think, 40, 41. I think she was 26, maybe 23. I'm, I'm forgetting now. But regardless, she says in the in the film that she was 14 
when she had a drug problem and ended up on her own, right? Mm -hmm. So from 14 to 20-something, you haven't figured out how to negotiate a rate at for for escorting? It was just, you know, I mean, it was very fantasy. It was very 80s, slick, like the John Hughes of prostitution, it, of, I'm sorry, of sex work. Forgive yeah, me. it was of a very work. 80s appealing to the the privileged suburbanites who are just looking for a, an escapist basically the the reason why people watch hallmark movies now and it you can make fun of pretty woman for the exact same reason you can make fun of all these like kind of hallmark movies of like oh it like because there's different genres and i don't really know that world as well but i know that there's definitely like a whole subgenre of like rescue movies it's like oh he this white knight savior comes and rescues her and isn't that romantic and like this is Honestly, I mean, this this is uh, My Fair Lady, but it's that kind of story. I think it's actually more. Yes, I agree with you. There is an audience for it. Um, and I, 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 you know, the montage, the the getting the clothes shopping montage when she's being catered to by, you know, very snobby boutique uh, employees that's a trope, you know, and it, that definitely appeals to a lot of people. It's a fun trope. I think they're fun. I think we it's, could keep that. We could even keep something like that in my version, which would be very gritty and end very differently, by the way. We'll, um, we'll get to that. But let's talk about that trope for yeah. a second, because there's this moment in the movie when completely uh, Julie Roberts walks into the store dressed in at the time. Oh, man, look at what she's wearing. But present day was like, that's a cute outfit. <laughs> it's like oh uh, it's fine and it's but it's still like super white and clean julia roberts walking to the store who would get served oh. anywhere she walked into regardless oh, of what she's yes. wearing oh yes she's what five foot nine perfect hair perfect face skin makeup i mean she's she looks like a, a model, not even yeah. not even catalog model. She looks like, you know, this character walks in looking like she just stepped off Vogue magazine. Right. Uh, her, her outfit was a little risque, but... But again, say, risque for 1990. For 2020, that is, frankly, that's a little prudish. It is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And Absolutely. so, but, but like you, but w- with that in mind, like, so that scene happens and let's take the context and the hilarity out of it. If like, if someone walks into a high end store looking like a street person, any respectable person who runs one of those high end stores is going to gently kind of escort them out and say, no, you really can't be in here. And then if that person comes back later, kind of done up to the nines and said, oh, you should have served me. Yeah. I, I was like, that just feels mean because I feel like they were sort of doing their job of, well, this person really shouldn't be in here. Like, oh, wow. we've all been in, Ooh. well, we've all been in stores where we've seen a homeless person walk in and people who work at the store, especially like non-confrontational though they may be, has to like go to a homeless person and say, you're not allowed to be in here. Or sometimes they'll say, okay, uh, we've got some food for you. Come around here. We'll get you fed and we'll get you back outside but we can't have you be in here specifically oh you just wrote a great scene change for when i direct this movie okay so i think it'd be great if they try to rescue her (laughs) well that's that's going to come up in uh when we get into it but let's take another step back so this is the first time i've ever seen this movie oh wow 
So, yeah. So it was one of those movies that I'm like, I felt like I'd seen a while ago, but it turns out I hadn't because the version I saw was My Fair Lady and not this. Because I kept waiting for there to be a bet made and there was never a bet made. See, you still haven't seen Sweet Charity or La Strada because what I felt it was, um, and this was part of what I didn't like about it when I saw it the first time. I felt that it was it was a, an American take on La Strada and Sweet Charity. Well, I guess Sweet Charity was the American take on La Strada with Bob Fosse's choreography and Shirley MacLaine. But I felt like this was the 80s version with a very different ending. I mean, we can get to that at some point, but I don't think they should have ended up together, but that's separate. Right. And that's what happens in Sweet Charity and in, uh, in La Strada. You know, she ends up just broken you know at the end um but anyways and i don't i don't necessarily want to break her that's not necessarily the story my version would be different yeah yeah. i wouldn't break her either i because i so because this is the first time i ever saw this movie i was kind of dealing with two conflicting emotions of i it's good that they're bringing attention to this story. This is a story that isn't often told. It's not like to, in fact, glorify a sex worker of any kind is especially out of the norm for movies of this era. And yeah. the only other times I could think about it happening are actually two other movies that I've remade this year. Like we previously remade um, Flashdance and uh, Night Shift, both of which are movies that are kind of like like versions of sex work are being like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's these people trying to live their life. And so part of me was like, great, let's shine a light at it. Let's say sex workers deserve rights. They deserve respect, everything else. They're people. (laughs) What a crazy idea. Let's treat them like that. That's actually what's good about this too. Yeah. And is that she, he learns from her, like she rescues him, right? Yes and no. Cause that was the other problem. Like it's, because my pro- because I liked that. I liked that we were paying that attention. But what I didn't like was it's like it's uh, it, it, it is it's I mean, it's a mutual rescue story. But at the end of the day, it's still a rescue story of like, yeah, you're a sex worker. But wouldn't it be great if you were something else? This isn't what you actually want to do. And I mean, part of me is like, I'm sure I don't know what the split is, but I'm sure that there's a number of sex workers who actively choose to be sex workers like it's a thing that they like doing and great uh, go for it but then there are the people who are trapped kind of in that world we're ignoring the 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 slave trade capturing of of women largely for the purposes of this conversation but like there are people who just for lack of other options that's what they end up having to do and i feel like it was kind of dismissing it and just being like You've had a rough couple of months. Come on. Don't you want to be rich? Billionaires fix everything. Yeah. Which, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And and Richard Gere's character is basically just, oh, this is you're the first legitimate human being I've ever met. Suddenly I'm better. I was a monster. Like, I used to take companies, gut them, fire tens of thousands of people. I'm literally a <laughs> le- I am why billionaires shouldn't exist. Oh, but you seem nice. I'll be different now. <laughs> what that character arc isn't realistic, Sam. He met I, he met a sex worker with a heart of gold. Sam, come on now, it is a. But trope. does she have a heart of gold? 
She gives yeah. some money to her friend so her friend doesn't die. I don't think that's a heart of gold. I think that's just like, well, I don't want my friend to die. I mean, I wouldn't describe her as a heart of gold. True. She, what she does is she goes head to head with him at times in some of their communications. And that, and I think perhaps that character has not had that happen with other women. I think that the women... That, I, I would say he hasn't had that happen with other people. Right. Like, it's this person who's drifted through life. Literally, only people said yes to him his entire life. And then he meets someone who, in her words, she's like, I'm a sure thing. But here's why you're stupid. Yeah. And I'm like... And it's like, oh, wait. And that's like such a paradigm shift of like, because no wonder billionaires and people who are born into money like this are monsters. Well, he is. Yeah, he he is clueless. He does betray cluelessness well. He's very, um, uh, we learn immediately that he treats women like objects, uh, something to be on his arm and to be at his beck and call. And mm-hmm. he, um, you know, I think I'm okay with his beauty privilege staying in my remake because I think that his good looks are a big part of his success, that character's success. So I, I think that's fine. I think, um, yeah, I, it, it is a very quick character arc. He sure did change fast. He suddenly fell in love. It was one week, right? So that, that was the other thing. I was like, this yeah. this should have been months, like week. I also thought it was really interesting that she just didn't transition into becoming a, an escort and that she didn't, uh, you know, she should she could have transitioned into being an escort and had a, a good, a better career as a sex worker. But the thing... I, I think this movie doesn't even acknowledge that that's an option or frankly know that that is a thing that exists. Like, there's a moment when she's like, okay, great, we're going to have sex now. And it's like, uh, you watch anything with modern-day sex workers, and they're like, for the most part, uh, I mean, there's certainly different things, but there are a lot of people who just want to talk. Yes. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. And shouldn't be frowned upon or diminished. And the fact that this movie was just like, oh, yeah, they go in and have sex, and then they leave. That is sex work. And it's not. Often. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, when they were negotiating the money, that was like that was the first yelling at the television screen. Uh, when yeah. I was just like, "How does she not know what she's worth, and how does she not know to negotiate?" I mean, and I even I stopped the movie and Googled to see you know the inflation different. No, that is the the amount was just that was insulting. I will say I watched it with a friend, and when I um, talked, when I complained about, you know, why doesn't she just, why isn't she already an escort, or why isn't this film about her transitioning into becoming an escort, like her moving up in her career, and uh, and my friend said, well, I know you really like Gary Marshall, maybe it's a good thing <laughs> that he just really didn't know. I mean, he's obviously never been with a sex worker. Isn't that it? And I was like, no, that's not a good thing. I think we should have gotten him a sex worker to at least talk to. That's that's the thing. Like, I like this is a movie that is written out of stereotypes. It is. Well, I've heard it's like this. So that's what it's like. It's it's a privilege movie. Yeah. And it's written for people who have never met anyone like this. And it, uh, what's what's the example I can give? So <laughs> 
back in August, I visited my family and my mom had just finished reading a book. I don't remember the name of the book, but apparently there was some scandal surrounding the author in that the, the author was kind of getting dragged online because she's written this story about illegal immigrants. She herself is not an illegal immigrant and had spoken to zero illegal immigrants mm. and had written a, a, like a heartfelt, compelling story that was, by all accounts, well-written, but doesn't actually take into it, like, and, but it relied on stereotypes and things that people believe happens, but doesn't actually happen. And it's like, if she talked to even just one person, that would have been avoided. So now my mom is sitting there. I was like, well, I really enjoyed this book. I don't see what the problem is. I'm like, the problem isn't that you enjoyed the book. The problem is that it is uninformed art that is trying to pass itself off as informed. And so what you, it's not your fault that you enjoyed it, but what you enjoyed was a lie. Yeah. And that's a problem. That inauthenticity. And my mom was super defensive about it. Yeah. I mean, I I also, you know, I understand her becoming defensive because it's not easy to hear something like that. Uh, It takes a while to process our part in racism. I, you know, that when I do consulting work, uh, a lot of my consulting work is, is as a woman and as a feminist. And so Mm -hmm. I'll take a script (laughs) and uh, (laughs) as gently as possible, make suggestions to, uh, make it less misogynistic and more realistic. Um, and oh, yeah, you've done that to my scripts before. Have I? <laughs> Is that good? Yeah. So do, <laughs> you, do you remember good. sitting at, I'm trying to remember the name of the deli because I'm not remembering off the top of my yes, head. the famous And deli. I remember we were sitting and reading and we were talking about the horrors. And you were like, so you have one woman in this. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Because the Reggie character was originally male, and now, of course, Reggie's female, which is the only way I can think of Reggie now, but that's not the character I'd written originally. I do remember that. And it was one of those situations where I, I needed more women in my script because I just hadn't thought about it. And, you know, um, I, so I should thank you because it was that moments like that and in our writing workshop, uh, your writing group, when I would chime in on... Uh, someone had written about voodoo and didn't he didn't know that the word voodoo means spirit um, and just all of those times of like giving that those notes led to mm-hmm. me kind of making a career out of it and during the pandemic I've been consulting more than not so thank you and and also well, thank you for graciously taking the note because that doesn't always I happen. don't remember how graciously I took the note at the time, but in retrospect I was super gracious. I'm sure you were gracious because it, it I kept going. <laughs> and then I I sure. did the same in our in that writing group. You know, I felt empowered to yeah. speak up. So, thank you for mm-hmm. creating that space. That was a good thing. But yeah, they, no one this consulted. Is a, this is going to be a self-plug as well, but I don't know if it, it hasn't aired yet, but uh, the episode that's going to come out before your episode, um, my guest is Paul Presley, also from Writing Group. <laughs> and so we remade the 2002 movie Scooby-Doo, and there's a character in that movie who's like doing voodoo, and is kind of like, just on that fact alone, is treated as a potential like villain. And honestly having met and talked with you and like heard uh you talking about like the practice of voodoo and all of that I, like i i didn't cite you by name but everything <laughs> i said during the course of recording that podcast i'm like well i'm only saying this because of tame but here's the problem <laughs> and it was true 
So when it comes out, you should listen. <laughs> yeah. And you're welcome to quote me anytime. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My experience with people who practice voodoo is that they work in service of the spirit. And I've only personally, I've only seen good stuff happening. And, and you know what? I have friends who are sex workers uh, that are actively currently sex workers. And, and I would, I would hire them to consult if the film is taking place in 2020. If the pl- film is taking place in 1980, I would find someone who was a sex worker on the street in Hollywood in the 80s and have her consult. Mm-hmm. I also, I will say, I wonder, like now we have intimacy coordinators. They certainly didn't have an intimacy coordinator on that on, on that film set when, is it Jason Alexander? The, yeah. the sexual assault, the attempted rape, uh, which, by the mm-hmm. way, I mean, Julia Roberts could totally take him down. We yeah. did not I, need Richard I, Gere I, to come in and save her. Well, because I think we need to talk about because I think that's just another instance of the type of movie this is, where it's the white knight hero who is saving her. And here is a very real fact. Oh, the damsel in distress. But here he comes out of nowhere and unexpected. And he saves the day. <laughs> that That's th- that's the movie that this is. It is oh. pure escapist well, like that. Let's also look at the fact of what his work is. I did really... Here's the things that I liked about it. I did appreciate how they showed the similarities in the work that they do. I appreciated mm-hmm. that. And I appreciated Absolutely. Um, all of the attributes, her personality attributes that helped him. I liked that. Mm-hmm. All of that felt good. That stuff really happens. That stuff really happens. That's cool. I agree. I agree with all of that. So let me just be clear. If you're a sex worker who's working on the street and a guy arrives in a whatever, DeLorean, whatever he can, I, I can't believe I'm spacing on Whatever that. the fancy car is, yeah. like, ooh, check out this girl. Isn't she cool? She right. knows about cars and stuff. So, That's super yeah. sexy. He arrives in that car. Which it is. Don't get me wrong. It absolutely is. But It's still. a great car, and I don't, I'm totally blanking on it, even though I'm really into cars. So that's uh, a little embarrassing right now. But anyways, we'll we'll skip past that. You can edit that out. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> she, um, she gets hired by a man who takes companies over and makes them work better. But somehow he doesn't help her be, you know, become an escort or I, I'm, I'm really fixated on that, that she should, that, that today that character would instead become an escort and her career would improve and change and she could escorts go to school, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't see if there's anything wrong with moving from one area of sex work to another. Like the movie posits that like, well, you should be trying to get out of sex work, period, the end. And it was one of those things that I kind of dealt with when we were remaking Night Shift of, I can understand the impetus to be like, well, we should get you out of doing this job that you shouldn't be doing anymore. And the person could respond like, I want to do this job. Like this is the this is the career I chose. Like I, this is something I'm good at and I can make a lot of money doing it. I can work for two, three hours a day. And then I have the rest of the day to kind of like do whatever I want. And that's great. And that, if that's the career someone chooses, I think we should be like, great, let's support it. Um, moving up to a different tier is fine. 
But I think it's hard to have that conversation without diminishing the job she was doing. Get her off the street, absolutely. But it it's hard to have this conversation without saying that the job she was doing is a bad job she should not be doing. Well, no, and I, I don't and know and how I to have that think, conversation. I don't think that's the case at all, especially since they established that this char- this character. Oh, by the way, her sobriety was interesting. This character doesn't do drugs anymore, but she still drinks. So that's that's interesting. Um, you know, everyone has their line. I mean, after after yeah, after being in uh, L.A. for so many years and having so many friends who are sober, it was interesting. It, it actually made me jump a little bit that when she drank, knowing that she was drinking champagne in one scene and saying that she doesn't do hard drugs anymore, that she had a hard time with drugs. So that was an interesting, that would be something I would possibly change as well, or at least... Uh, yeah, it's, it's once again written more. by someone who probably wasn't sober or wasn't a recovering drug addict. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't do heroin, but this is fine. Right. Like, I, I don't drink uh, hard alcohol anymore, but beer is okay. Right. And, I, and right. Like, and and the, just goes on. With and there life. are certain people who that is true. Yes. But yeah. Yeah, that does exist. They, they do exist. Um, but the, the thing about that, uh, so the fact that she was not on hard drugs and was performing sex work that she was procuring from the streets and she had her best friend there. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's just that she got into a really wealthy man's car and he offered to pay her for a week. That becomes mm-hmm. escorting. She wore different yeah. clothes. She lived in the hotel room. That's not street anymore. That's now escorting. So she has mm-hmm. transitioned. And then, you know, I would guess that if you were, I, if, she, if she's not going to, le- quote, level up, if she's not going to become an escort, then I want to know why. I want to know that, okay, I'm not going to become an escort. I'd rather work on the street, and this is why. And that's why I would talk to somebody who works in that industry yes, in that way and get there. And I probably I would probably put together a forum. I would probably get several people together and have a discussion and learn from them. And absolutely at least one or two would be on set. That, you know, mm-hmm. they would be yeah, part of you, the rewrite. You would need a consultant on set. Absolutely yes, you would. Yes. And an intimacy coordinator. Yes. Uh, I agree with that, too. It's it, it's a movie that casts in broad strokes things that the, the creators didn't really have the familiarity with. And that's just what we need to change, unfortunately. With that in mind... You wanted to talk a little bit about what Richard Gere's character does for a living. Yeah. Or did we cover that already? Uh, we did a little bit. I just think it's insane. Because he's a monster. Yeah, yeah. He's the worst type. Um, he's he's uh, a vulture. He's a vulture yes. capitalist. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even that wasn't fully explored. I mean, these days, uh, post post Ronald Reagan that that film was actually post Ronald Reagan so even by then vulture capitalists like that were causing problems in neighborhoods so they could so they could reduce the real estate rates and then they would go in and purchase 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 kick people out 
And voila, gentrification. Yeah, so the movie as it presents it right now is we kind of have George Costanza, not George Costanza, Jason Alexander, the bad one, even though he's the lawyer for the guy who's actually doing it. And Richard Gere, the good one who just needs someone to change his mind. And the fact is that that's not true. I think what needs to happen in what didn't happen in this movie is Richard Gere was never confronted with the consequences of his actions. And I mean, I feel like making the, the, the Vivian Ward, Julia Roberts character personally, one of the victims of it, I think would be a little bit too circular, but I think at the end of the day, you can't like the, the, especially now we're realizing that some of these people will not ever change. Like, Although this is I just do the world think that would in. be interesting if she goes street to escort, realizes that she hates escorting because of men like him and goes back to street. That works for me. Yeah, that would be cool. That's, that's an excellent reason. It's like, because you're dealing with people who are just are looking for escape or people who just want to feel like they have more power. Ooh. Yeah, big difference in clientele. And again... Mm-hmm. This is something that we this this would this brings up the questions that I would want to ask my consult the people who are consulting is you know yeah are talk to me about the quality of people the different types of people that you meet on the street versus the people that you meet as an escort that mm-hmm. would be interesting yeah I I I believe that a lot of escorts are very particular about who they'll be with so. There's also mm-hmm. that. I'm sure. Yeah. I I don't know, so I can't speak to that. Yeah, exactly. This is where we go back to back then. People didn't yeah. bother to consult. And this is where, unfortunately, you and I don't necessarily have... Like, we both, we both know people who have worked in, either in or tangentially to this industry. And it's like, we, d- we don't know. But we need to ask. Yeah. Which I think is... I, which I think I can be summed up as the core problem with this movie is you didn't know but you didn't ask amen not knowing isn't a problem not asking is a problem yes and i think that's the real issue yes and i just feel Um, like everybody was laughing and having fun and oh we're gonna movie make a movie about a sex worker and and she's gonna be rescued and cinderella and it's like oh and oh god yeah that's why i hated this is why i didn't like it the first time i saw it i just remembered I'm just now, I'm remembering now when she goes on about how she dreamt of being a princess in a tower and her knight in shining armor climbing and rescuing her. Yeah. It made me angry because when I was a kid, I didn't have that fantasy. No, but that's what this movie is. This movie literally is that fantasy. That's the thesis statement of the movie. Yeah. She is trapped doing something she doesn't want. She's trapped somewhere she doesn't want to be, and she just needs someone to save her because she can't save herself. Yeah. That's the... One of the things that bumped me while watching the movie was um, the, the Julia Roberts, Vivian's character, did this a little bit uh, as well, but then Kit DeLuca did it as well when they're like in the, the hotel and, and there's some other proper people, and then they're just being obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious. Like when the first time Julia Roberts gets into the elevator and is like, oh no, I'm, I'm accidentally not wearing underwear or whatever the line is. Or I'm the, oh no, I'm not wearing leggings or stockings or whatever she said. And then when her friend comes to visit and she's like hassling the two guests who are at the other end of the counter, that felt stupid. 
Like, oh, look at these two. They don't know any better. They don't know how to behave in actual society. And I'm like, "Mm, I bet they do. And on the one hand, I can totally see fucking around with these sorts of people because fuck these people, eat the rich, all that. But at the same time, I think that they would also be highly conscious of there's a time and a place and I might need to come back here and I need to be able to come back here. Yeah, when she was in the lobby, um, when they were... They were at the reception desk and her coat was wide open. Um, That was so unrealistic, unless she was on drugs. If she was on crystal meth, crack, coke, if she was on speed of some sort, then I could see her jacket being open and her not realizing that she's making a scene. But she had a coat. She could have closed the coat and nobody would have seen what was at that time possibly considered risque attire that didn't you know she could have made herself fit in more in that environment and instead she just had it wide open in kind of a rebellious way that it just it it didn't make any sense to me at all it made her look stupid like yeah and i that that was a, a problem i had with the movie so then my question for you is for your gritty remake are you going to make her a drug addict? Because then that makes the Richard Gere character even worse because then he's taking advantage of a drug addict. I would, no, she would not be a using drug addict. She'd be a drug addict in recovery. She would be in recovery. Yeah. She would be working the program. She would be struggling with the rigorous honesty of, you know, letting people know what she does for a living when she goes to meetings and et cetera. California mm-hmm. has really cool meetings. So, you know, she'd, she'd probably go to a meeting where people were more accepting of sex work. So what I haven't figured out yet is would I make this film in current times or would it take place in the late 80s, early 90s like the original did? I, I would set it in current times just because I always think that that's – if you're looking for shorthand in order to connect to an audience, I think there's an escapism to making it a period piece. And for something like this, I don't necessarily want escapism. I want this to be, you think you're getting escapism, but what you get is a good story, but also reality. Yeah. I like the idea of making her in recovery based on that. My, my suggestion would be she's in recovery, but because she was an addict, she lost all her connections. She lost all her jobs and like she got a felony. So she's not able to get another job. Yes. So she ends up finding th- her way to sex work and despite all the odds is good at it and enjoys it. And she's all of a sudden self-employed in her own boss for the first time in her entire life. And all of the stress that drove her to be a drug addict in the first place isn't there anymore because she's in charge of her own destiny in a way she never had been before. Yes. I love that. I would also add, I would make her a little matriarchal and I would make her the, uh, the nurturing because she's sober, make her the nurturing person who looks out for people that are also on this, that are also streetwalking. So like her best friend. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I wouldn't make her best friend tougher and more knowledgeable. I would make her tougher and more knowledgeable. And I would make her not judgmental and not trying to convert anybody to the program, but truly working the program, which is accepting that people will come to it when they're ready for it and and participating in, you know, witnessing and helping them out in a way that doesn't enable them. 
right? So yes. I, I would I would have that. I would also very clearly inform the audience that well, first I would have to find out if there are what what streetwalker uh, sex workers who are working on the streets, what's the likelihood of them not having a pimp? Because if it's possible that she doesn't have a pimp, my character would not have a pimp. She would be yeah. independent. So Yeah, if it is possible for that, I, I'm sure there is an element of security where showing up somewhere with a guy is probably... Uh, an element of uh, just security, for lack of a better word. But I don't know. That's a question we would need to ask. So I, know that I we have would done also a little to... research on, on pimps. And, Please. And from what I know, um, this is years old research for a completely different thing. Um, pimps are enslavers. They are, they tend to be abusive enslavers. They tend to, um, work like a narcissistic, abusive boyfriend or husband, and um, and then they trap and they destroy people. So I really would like my character to somehow not have a pimp, uh, and I don't. That that is my understanding of pimps as well, but I also don't know, and I would love to have a conversation with someone who has a positive relationship with their pimp. I, that I think because that usually I, I, ends up being escorts. I'm guessing often, but we don't, we don't know, but I think that that's an important question to ask because that's certainly my interpretation as well, but that's also the interpretation that I think has been put forth by Hollywood. And I'm often, uh, I, I'm not often, I have become a little bit more trepidatious at trusting the, the Hollywood interpretation of things, especially for stuff like this. While I'm quite certain that there's a power fantasy and it's like, uh, in the same way that agents are often asked, it's like, well, you go do the work so I can get my 10% kind of thing, or in this case, the 50%. I'm sure there are a, especially if it's dudes, a wide variety of male pimps who are just monsters, but there may also be female pimps. I mean, we kind of think of that in terms of like the madams. Right, and when you realize when I finally reveal who I would have be the Vivian character, uh, I think she could actually be managing the women that are on the street with her. I think that that can, I feel like that would be her place at the end of the movie instead of the beginning of the movie. Cause otherwise she has nowhere to go. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Can we talk for a second about uh, Barney and Bridget? Barney and Bridget. Which so Barney and Bridget are the hotel manager <laughs> and the lady who gets her the dress. Yes. Because, they were the two people. They were my favorite two characters in the movie. Uh, can we also just for are... a moment thank thank Gary Marshall for hiring such great for casting such great character actors. The character actors made this film watchable. Everyone, yeah. Them. Yes. I don't have a problem with anyone's performance in this movie. I think yeah. everyone did a incredibly good job. Yes. The fact that Richard Gere can look at the Jason Alexander character and go, yeah, I'd like to still be your friend, is a indictment against his character, but that's real. And I thought that they both did an amazing job. Like, I hated the Jason Alexander character, but he did a fantastic job portraying so good. It. So good. him. So good. 
and like the Barney and Bridget and the and Kit DeLuca also did a fantastic job. Like every performance in this movie is fantastic. Yes. But yeah, so I wanted to talk about them for a second because uh, Barney is basically like, all right, I see what's going on here, but you don't know how to fit in, so I'm going to teach you. So I don't like what he was doing, but I liked his attitude of being like, I will accept you and I will help you in any way I can. Yeah. Yeah, I like that his character had an didn't arc. love his attitude good. I liked his character's arc, that he initially was very uh, cautious, trepidatious uh, around her presence. Mm-hmm. And then became the consummate concierge and did yep. his job. That's what a concierge does. And yes. he did his job. He did it splendidly. What I liked was that this actor was able to convey that he took some pleasure in it, that he experienced yep. personal pleasure in helping this person with his concierge skills. That was cool. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. What else do we need to talk about in terms of plot? Like you, you keep talking to you like you want to make this gritty. Talk to me a little bit about what your version of this movie is. Oh goodness. Well, um, what that we haven't covered yet. Yes. Well, I mean, what can I tell you who I would cast as the lead as the pretty woman yet? If, if, if you can't, Take that step without having without talking about casting. We can certainly step into casting and kind of talk about. Okay, no, that I, as think we I, go. I think I can. I think, but I think I can. But I basically, I basically wanted to cover like whatever else you ta- wanted. What's necessary about plot right. before we get into the main thing? Because I think one of the other things we, because I think we've talked about Richard Gere a little bit. Like he's a vulture capitalist, which is a great turn of phrase I've never heard before. And I think he needs to be brought to face with the consequences of the people affected by his decisions. When you grow up rich and you're surrounded by only rich people, you don't meet the poor people you're walking over. And I think he needs to. I think the Jason Alexander character is an example of, well, if you just fully lean into just being this rich vulture capitalist asshole, this is who you end up becoming. And then the Julia Roberts character, the, we kind of talked about her kind of recovery arc and finding this self-actualization and then using that to like... I'm trying not to use the word hooker because uh, it is uh, people who are sex workers don't appreciate the term. So a sex worker with a heart of gold, if you want to do that, then she's helping out her fellow sex workers and getting them and helping them in whatever step they're comfortable and ready to be in. Not looking down upon her fellow workers, but in a way that's like, let's raise ourselves up together. Let's rising tide lift all boats. And that's kind of like of the three kind of core characters we have those arcs. What have I missed? What what else do we need to discuss about these characters? Um, you know, I, I like the girlfriend phone call is great. I think it really establishes him as, uh, as a cad. And then his business dealings establish him perfectly. We talked about all the flaws with, with both lead characters. I don't know. What else? All right. Here's a question for you. I love the car stuff, by the way, and I think that... Yeah, let's keep that. Yeah, I, I, well, not only is it a car shop, I mean, uh, you know my family history, I would have made it a chop shop, <laughs> you know, and then I would like to, you know, see the registered fear on the rich guy's face when he finds out that, you know, he's in a car with somebody who grew up in a chop shop. Uh, it's the likelihood yeah. the car is going to be completely stripped. Or at least he would make fun of, oh, well, there goes my lawyer's car. You know, it'll be stripped by the end of the mm-hmm. day or something like that. So I, I I really liked that aspect of her character. 
I liked that I, that she was from uh, somewhere rural or in the South, someplace that she, she grew up without opportunities and that her family survived without opportunities. Um, I think that's really yeah. great. Yeah. I think maybe the, the best friend, her best friend, her sidekick, that was problematic. I have a problem a with that A little bit of the sassy best friend. Yeah, I do. I So I they both have best friends. And I feel like in both of their cases, they're examples of who the main character could be if they let themselves go in a certain direction. In the Jason Alexander character, it's like if you just fully leaned into it's like, well... T- I'm so rich that literally my there are no consequences to the way I live my life. And if you fully lean into that, that's who you become. Right. Whereas I feel like the Kit DeLuca, uh, the Julie Roberts friend, the Vivi- uh, Vivian's friend, um, I-, I feel like that's a character where if she leaned kind of more into the whole Bacchanal aspect of it all, Mm. it's like well i mean we're doing it this way let's just life's a party let's just live it up and let's get the most out of it while we can both she and the jason alexander characters i think are mirrors of each other of getting as much out of everything that they can at the level that they're at i like that and there's a little element of like personal responsibility and like i mean living in a way that's not short-term thinking but also having an element of long-term thinking at the same time you know what i like about those two characters from my gritty remake sure they're both people who have consciously become aware that they crossed the morality line that they grew up with and that ethics and morals are flexible mutable i like i would like those two characters to have to be aware very aware of their constantly mutating for their own purposes morals and ethics no guilt no shame i love that yeah great that's fun perfect yeah that's a good agent if anyone's out there um i could use one that is you know (laughs) that's that intense no cool so then so then here's my last question for you in terms of plot we have the movie as it exists of Julia Roberts takes Richard Gere back to his hotel just because he doesn't know where he is. He's lost. And then he's like, like he sees her waiting for the bus and he kind of like, yeah, she can come inside. What is your motivator for getting the Richard Gere character to bring the Vivian Ward character inside? Like, cause I feel like that moment never felt authentic to me completely especially if it gets a little bit grittier and I feel like we will potentially make the Vivian Ward character herself a little bit more, for lack of a better term, street. What is going to be the motivating factor? What's the phone call that he had earlier in the movie that brings Richard Gere's Edward Lewis character to ask her to stay? Because this is the sort of person who's so rich and wealthy that he'd be like, well, I would never associate with a with a with a woman of the street. Yeah, why doesn't he? Uh, How dare? Well, yeah, uh, frankly, a man in that position already has a go to escort service. So I of think, like, I that's think, the thing. I think he would possibly meet, be me tooed out of. Uh, so if a, if customers are behaving badly, they're going to get blackballed. Yeah, for lack of so you want this to be a, a, a you want the Richard Gere character to be me tooed, and then he is our hero in the movie because I don't think oh that's no he's work. not the hero. 
oh, he's not the hero. The movie ends differently for me. Well, you got to talk to me oh, about that. Okay, I don't know I'm what's sorry. going on in your I'm head, Tom. I'm sorry. I thought I, I thought I already did. Okay, so Richard Gere, I think he should be canceled by every escort service on the West Coast, uh, possibly. And then last minute, he finds out he can't even fly someone out from the East Coast. He has been completely canceled from that culture. When he's in that car, I want him to be cruising for a specific female, for a specific woman. And I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like to see him approach more than one sex worker on the street. And when he sees Vivian, she's able to banter with him. She's Her personality comes through enough that he's like, okay, you're the one, and takes her back and gives her that proposition. I think that proposition had to happen a lot earlier before they even get to the hotel or yeah, before they get to the hotel, that proposition needs to happen right away. When she gets in the car and she's like, okay, you need to give me the money. Uh, it wouldn't, I would not have had it be about directions. Hell no. That's one that doesn't work in this time because of GPS, but also mm-hmm. no. And you'd pay me for directions. If I'm working on the street, you're going to take my time. I just gave you five minutes to give you directions. Pay me. So I think I would actually have him cruising for somebody that he, in his mind, he can my fair lady. I I don't love that idea. And I'll tell you why. No matter what happens, no matter who we put at the front of this movie, it is still like, especially if this movie is called Pretty Woman, which we're doing a remake, it is. We have this character and they're going to be seen as this hero character. Regardless of reality, that's how they're going to be treated. We've seen it happen over and over again. Like the Joker movie that came out last year of like, oh, here's this monster. He's bad. What a great guy. I feel like if we make the Richard Gere character the one who's being me too'd, then I think we have a problem of making of like excusing that behavior of, oh, well, he got me too to bunch, but he just kept moving on to the next one until he found someone who was right for him. And I think that's a problem. In my story, they don't fall in love, though. She doesn't fall in love with him. I understand. I I understand that that's kind of where you're going, but I think at the end of the day, Pretty Woman, as it exists, I think the core essence of what this movie is, and I think the little nugget that we need to take with us, is that this is a fantasy movie. And... I, I don't think the core essence of this movie is a rich guy meets a, a, a sex worker off the street and they fall in love. I, I think it is, for the people watching this movie, it, it, it is a fantasy. And I gritty or not, which I do think we need to be gritty, is I do think we need to capture that little bit of essence. So here is my slight revision pitch. It still makes Richard Gere a bad character, and it still makes it even easier for Vivian to walk away from him at the end of the movie. I would make it so the Richard Gere character is not the person being me too'd, but he's the apologist. I would make him, this isn't my casting, but I would make him the Matt Damon. The person who didn't do these things, but made a bunch of excuses for his friends, the people who did. So he still got canceled, but in in a different way. Interesting. Yeah. But, but also in the same way, like in the same way that ex- you're exactly right, people at this level kind of have the escort services they're going to. 
he get he can even say, well, they didn't fire us. I left them because they didn't want to serve one of my employ my lawyer that's anymore. Great. And that's that's unacceptable. That's great because so he's it's such someone- an ego. That's perfect, Sam. That's great. That's yeah. great. I love that. So he himself isn't a monster, sort of, but he's a monster in that he excuses this behavior from the people he's close with because he's never known any. That's different. even better. And that's the arc. That's the arc he needs to go through anyway of realizing, well, maybe the people I'm surrounding myself with aren't great and that's affecting me. Yeah. I, I and think, I think, I at think the end, that when she rejects him in my, in my telling, either he's going to destroy her, which is what Lestrada and Sweet Charity was. I don't want to do that. I would rather. No, I don't either. She rejects him. And I, I think in rejecting him he learns i want her to be the lead character not him and i want her arc to be you know i'm struggling on the street financially but it's better than waiting tables it's better than any other job i can get i'm trying to do other things with my life too I'm working on my sobriety. I'm, I'm being the best example I can be, but I'm, I, I'm, I can't seem to get like, she's not, I, I, I want the character need her to be someone with, I want this character. I don't necessarily need her to be someone with greater dreams. I'd want her to be like, this is the task Look, that's in I front mean, of me. So this is what I'm going to do. I know that there are people who dream of being uh, a true crime producer and yeah, I still dream of a lot more than that. When I was an aerialist, it was not my dream. I met people who were like, wow, that's my dream. And I was glad to be doing it. It was a great way to make money. It wasn't my dream. I always had other aspirations. And she's an intelligent woman. I don't know any intelligent, strong women who aren't thinking about what the next step is, what I can do next. I like the idea yeah, of yeah. making her a matriarch and wanting to, you know, do something with the people that she's bonding with. I want the people on the street that are her friends to be more like her family. And I would like her, and all this is for my own personal, like, you know, I make family everywhere I go. Um, when you leave home in your teens, which she did and which I did, you create family everywhere you go. And some of those new family bonds are much stronger than the biological ones. Soul, you know, spirit is stronger than blood. So I, that line would be in there. Spirit is stronger than blood. And what I, but I would like then, for her to wh- reject him at the end. And for him to, his art can be learning that, oh, wow, you know, I'm clueless. My actions have consequences. Yes. And then her art can be, you know what? I can learn from this guy. I can learn magic. I agree. I, I, I agree. I, I think my build off of that would be, I think that her character at the beginning of the movie should be similar to a friend of just doing the job in front of her. This is the simple life, like just getting, getting to the end of this stretch. And over the course of the movie, she develops that long-term thinking it, in the same way that we talked about, like the the Jason Alexander and the Kit DeLuca character, the two friends who just think in terms of like short term gratification, moral blurring, whatever. That both 
the Rick, the the Edward Lewis and Vivian Ward character are on that teetering edge where they could go that way, but meeting each other sends them the other way because it's a movie. That's what's supposed yeah. to happen. So, and then I feel like the last little burst is going to be the Edward Lewis character reaching out to Vivian Ward saying, "We did this for each other. We can continue to do these for each other forever." But that's a little bit of he was rejected and people never t- never tell him no. And, like, I want him to make this grand gesture at the end of the movie. And then I want Vivian Ward to say, no. no. You don't own And then he me. has to, like, go, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, like, I think that, like, that's the big moment of he, someone said no to him and they said no to him permanently. And I think that that, like, he then needs to learn to be okay with that. And she needs to learn, okay, now I've given myself this power. And how can I now use this and learn from this going forward? Yes. Because I think that's where they are at the beginning versus where they are at the yeah. end. Yeah. I, I think it, it would be okay to establish in the beginning also her turning down a customer or somebody or her counseling someone about turning down certain customers or helping somebody. Maybe somebody gets out of a car and is in really bad shape and she's like, it's okay. You'll get better at identifying who not to get in the car with. And then I want her to get in the car with somebody that, oh, shit, I shouldn't have gotten the car with this guy. He's kind of a horrible person. He's a fucking monster. Oops, I swore. He's a monster. And and then she gets to know him as a human being. He gets to know her as a human being. That's the beauty of this story. The thing that makes me enjoy it, what I like about it, the Gary Marshall that is so beautiful in this is that we get to they get to know each other and themselves through their relationship and that's what relationships are supposed to do you're so that relationships teach you about yourself right so she learns about herself he learns about his self she learns that you know what i can i can do things differently i think it'd be interesting if she decides if she realizes oh i can actually escort and decides like what you pitched, you know what? I'd prefer to continue working from the street. It's quicker. It's easier. I don't have to deal with people like you. Again, this would be something I'd want to consult about. But in any case, giving her the power of turning down a billionaire, giving her the power of turning down a billionaire because he's not good enough for her is a great mm-hmm. way to end the film. It's a great way. I agree. So good. That was that that ending, the fairy tale thing, and the and ending. then we play Pretty Woman walking down. Right. <laughs> and then the song. Um. Cool. Yeah. Now let's talk about casting. Yay! Presumably, you would like to start with uh, Vivian Ward. Sure. Let me. Or would you like to start with Edward Lewis? Let me bring up my. All right. Let's start with. Edward Lewis, who was played originally by Richard Gere. Now, I would either have him be Daniel Henney or Michael B. Jordan. All right. I don't want it to be Michael B. Jordan, but Daniel who? Daniel Henney. Talk to me about... Oh, I don't know who this is. uh, Why would you be interested in it being Daniel Henney? Okay. I'm, I'm really not familiar with this actor. Okay. So, he's... He is good looking, and I think that the character should remain good looking. I agree. I appreciate his 
So he was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Do you and The Last Stand? Do you remember those? Well, yeah. yes. Uh, you didn't care for those. Movies. I mean, they're not. He's that is correct. He's not standing out for you. He also has played in Criminal Minds and. I, I vaguely recognize him, but what what does he bring to the character? Like, other than being an attractive guy, what aspect of his performances do you think lends itself to the Edward Lewis character? He's got this confidence in his body and in his smirk. Go to his Wikipedia page and look at that photo, and you'll see he's got this smirk about him that just says, I've got bank. And I have privilege and uh, my, you know, I, I have enough testosterone that I don't think there's anything wrong with me. <laughs> yes, I, I saw the smirk. So he's a talented actor. He's very good looking. I think he could pull it off. I think he'd be great. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a fairly strong argument yeah. for me. My casting for this role is Cillian Murphy. I don't know who that is. Uh, he's... Okay. Oh, he's an Irish actor. Oh, God. He's beautiful. Oh, my God. That's why I cast him. Oh, my God. Uh, He's been in Peaky Blinders and Inception. He's also been in 28 Days Later. He's in the the Batman uh, Begins movies. He's in all, like, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Because, like, he's one of those people Christopher Nolan really likes. I'm willing to go with Daniel Honey, but I think we need to figure out who uh, we're pairing him with. So let me tell you about my Vivian. Okay. My Vivian, I went with someone who, when you look at Julia Roberts, you immediately think, oh, yeah, well, obviously she's a model. She's gorgeous. So I went with someone who is also very beautiful, but can also get a lot more charactery and has played, like, like our, our interpretation of this actress, what she is most known for is being extremely charactery, but can get dressed up and, and be just as gorgeous as she actually is. And I, that way, I think she's kind of able to span both worlds of working the street and also being the, the woman on the arm of a very high-end business person. Uh, and that's why I wanted to go with Uzo Aduba. Oh, God, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's most famous for being crazy eyes and orange is the new black. Okay. She's gorgeous. And I thought that, yeah, but like, because that's our interpretation of her and we can lean into, oh, well, everyone thinks of her and sees her this way. But and that way we can even we can kind of meta referential lean into that a little bit with the casting and that way it comes full circle of yeah that's what you see and that's what you think but that's not who she is as a human being yeah and that's why I thought would be important for this character yeah who did you have for Vivian I have Julia Garner from Oz- she works she's on Ozark have you seen Ozark I haven't it's not really for me okay this um, actor is tiny little matriarch. She's such a badass. She is, you know, and and I watched interviews with her and I watched not just her character in Ozark, but I watched interviews with her. And I just think I would believe that she would choose, she could play a character who could choose sex work on the street over waiting tables that she could be the character who is the one who goes to somebody and says, look, you need to, uh, you'll learn how to, you'll learn how to do this better. Here's what I can tell you. You know, she'll be the mentor. She has enough grit. Did you, were you able to bring her up visually? Yeah, I saw it. 
I, I see what you yeah, look like. Yeah, and what I like about her looks is that she can be, she can go from really not made up and not glamorized. And then when she is glammed up, it's, there's a little hint of like Betty Davis or uh, an actor from the 1920s. She's got like a little Clara Bow. She's got some of that old Hollywood look that you could really lean, lean into when she becomes, quote, the pretty woman. But if you're looking at her images and you can see photos of her in Ozark, you can see that she she's real scrappy. That's why I really like her. She's a scrappy. Yeah. She can play a scrappy character really well, but she can also laugh very and be giggly. And she has naturally curly hair. They can straighten it, uh, you know, so we can add a hair salon, hmm. you know, montage to the getting, you know, the wardrobe montage. And I also think they would look good together. I think that would be nice to see them together. Yeah, I, I, I just I think they'd be great. All right. I think we should go with Daniel Henney and Uzo Aduba. I could see that too. Yeah. If if nothing else, at the end of the day, I feel like, especially for an escapist movie like this, I'm not crazy about having Daniel Henney, a 41-year-old, dating a 26-year-old. Well, that's what Julia uh, Roberts and, and Richard Gere were. I'm aware of that. I don't like that. I mm. think that's I, I think that that's bad escapism. Mm. I think that, that that might even be the people that the Edward Lewis character often dated. Like, he was also often doing the Leonardo DiCaprio dating 18 to 20-year-olds. But I don't like that. Mm. I think that if we're going to have them be, have an actual real relationship, I'd, I'd like a little bit of uh, age parody. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, I also think that if we're going to be having a little bit more honesty with this person who's living on the streets and who is then going to be turning around and helping out the other people living on the streets, I think we need to avoid even a low-level white savior complex of, well, this beautiful blonde woman is here to help everyone else working on the streets figure their lives out. Right, yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I like this actor because she plays, like, Appalachian scrappy kind of energy really well. Yeah. I'm not commenting on the on the choice. I think she's a lovely choice. Yeah. But I, if if it were me, I think Daniel Henney and Uzo Aduba is the correct choice yeah. for for our for the movie that we're making. Okay. I get that. I could see that. All Can right. we look at Philip Stuckey, the lawyer who was originally played by Jason Alexander? That's who I've got next. I would like Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale. Yes. I, I first of all watch anything she's in. She's one of my favorite character actors of all time. I will watch anything that she's in. I would love her to be. I love Margot Martindale. I think she's great, but I think she works better for Bridget than I think she does for the Philip Stuckey character. No, especially the Philip Stuckey character as we described him, and like and uh, work. Which it's it's just fine. I've got casting for that. But for the Philip Stuckey character, the Jason Alexander character, the example of who Edward Lewis could be, and especially for the the thing we came up with. When we were saying this, like, people at his organization were being Me Too'd, I feel like this is one of the people that needs to be Me Too'd. Yes, but she can I be a lesbian. I think this needs to be... She's... she's uh, absolutely. She's also played, like, she played a uh, the matriarch of a drug family in a, a southern hill folk 
drug family and Justified. It's the only, those are the only episodes of Justified I watch because Margot Martindale is in it. And she just played this horribly. You didn't watch me get killed in Justified? You were in Justified? I would, when, like the first year and a half I was in LA, I did background on a bunch of stuff and I was a random background guy on Justified who got (laughs) brutally murdered by clear blue eyes guy whose name I always forget. (laughs) Uh, No, I haven't seen that yet, but I'll look for it. But Margot Martindale... I, I, think, I might not even be visible. I think her range is such an extent, to such an extent that she could play a, a really evil, nasty character that Edward Lewis stands up, tries to stand up for, and, and, you know, and he gets destroyed by it. Because I think we need to look at not where the Me Too movement was, but where it can go. And where it can go will I, include... Uh, women predators. I absolutely 100% agree with all of that. However, I also want to think about the people we want to see this movie. And I feel like if we have the best friend female, like the Philip Stuckey character be Margot Martindale, beloved character actress Margot Martindale, I feel like we tip our hand a little bit at the type of activism and social justice that we're interested in promoting and i i think we need to go the other direction with the philip stuckey character i think it needs to be another eligible bachelor who you think oh man this guy's also got it all like it totally makes sense that these two people would be best friends because they they um you know how you have friends sometimes that when you're growing up that uh See, I would have made Margo more like a mother figure to the Edward Lewis character. Less a friend and more Uh, like a mother. Yeah. Right. And I I don't want that. Yeah. I I think what we need is, I think we need someone who like, yeah, like an echo. I think what we need more is more like an echo chamber of like, you're hanging out with your buddies. And so my idea is Joel McHale. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) Because, especially because he's also a very well-regarded comedic actor, but, like, yeah. also because, like, you can just as ease, like, you can see, oh, he's going to be this really cool, nice guy. And then all of a sudden, like, there'll be that moment where he turns and you're like, oh, no, you take it a step too far. Yeah. You're always the person who's pushing us. You're the person with that moral grayness who sees, it doesn't matter. We're rich. We don't have consequences. And I'm not saying that character, both in fiction and in reality can't be female but i think that if we make it someone like joel McHale, people coming in will go oh it's joel McHale. he's great he's funny i love him and then when he because we watch the movie as it is now and we watch it being portrayed by jason alexander and you're like this sleaze is going to be a sleaze the whole movie everything he does is sleazy we just expect sleazy things from him as soon as he's alone with vivian ward he's going to try to 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 rape her we know that as soon as we see this character I want it to be a surprise, an unpleasant surprise that this guy who could get any, any girl he wants is still trying to rape someone right. because he li- he cannot say no. And I think this is the example of the sort of character that that can be. Right. And I think that's someone we need to have in our movie of the person who does go too far. And if he continued to influence our Edward Lewis character, our Richard Gere, it's who that character would become. So I... I see where you're coming from. Here are my concerns with that. I think it's a trope. It's the waspy rich guy who's who's got everything and 
just as you described him, uh, the character in Pretty in Pink that she had a crush on. Yeah. The character in Mystic Pizza. He's that guy. I feel like we've seen that guy so much. And I think it's, I think it's, I think we've seen it too much. I think that, I think that Margot Martindale and Edward Lewis played by either Danielle, Daniel Hennessy or what was Kel, what was his name? The one that you were suggesting. Cillian Murphy. Cillian. Cillian Murphy. Uh, Cillian Murphy. I think that we can make them best friends. I think she can be kind of a, a mentor and a mom, which the Jason Alexander was like, you know, his lawyer. That That's your counselor. They sit in counsel for you. I just, I like the idea of also, I like creating really bad, complex, really bad female characters. And in this film, the way we're doing it now, all the women are great, you know, heart of gold. And that's true. I would really like to have, like, my favorite television character ever was portrayed by Tatum O'Neill in Rescue Me. Her name was Maggie. And she was the worst, most hideous character in a series full of plenty of awful, hideous characters. Hers was the worst. I mean, she there, there's just no worse character. And that was really refreshing to me because I'm, I don't just want strong women. I don't just want mm-hmm. women who succeed. I want to show the women that, you know, made horrible mistakes and there are women predators. And... And they should be canceled, too. And they should have friends like Edward Lewis who are going to stick up for them and regret it. That's a compelling argument. I also Um, like that she attempts to rape. Let's come back to this character, then. Yeah, okay. Let's move on to Vivian's friend. Kit DeLuca. Yeah, Kit DeLuca. Played by Laura Sanyamico at first. Giacomo. Laura Sanyamico. You went, you went first for um, yeah, for the last one. So let me go first for this one. I cast someone who is very thin because I I think that it's important for her to be. If Vivian's character is recovering, I think that it's char- It's more important for Kit DeLuca to be kind of in the middle of a relapse or two. Great. Um, so I, I cast someone who happens to be very thin. She is a phenomenal actress. She's been on Fear the Walking Dead. She's been on Riverdale. Uh, she's been on Vita. She's someone who is younger than the, the than the Vivian character that we ended up casting. And I think that's good because that way they can kind of have that style of relationship. So the actress I cast is named Michelle Prada. Michelle is spelled M-I-S-H-E-L. And then Prada, P-R-A-D-A. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I thought that might be Hell yes. a, a fun kind of fun casting. She's great. Cool. Oh, my goodness. What a face. God, she's got a great <laughs> face. Look at all these expressions. What a face. Wow. Yeah. Who did you have for this role? Okay, so I had Camila Mendez, who... I've... Is, is also from Riverdale. We j- I just recast her last episode. From, uh, yeah, Veronica. Yeah. And I think the reasons are obvious. I mean, I feel like she could play um, street savvy and also victim at the same time and also best friend. And, yeah, I think uh, I think she'd be great for it. But actually, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I like either one. 
whoever's available. We'll talk cool. to their agents and see who we can who we can get. I love them. <laughs> I love them both. Yeah. My vote would probably be to go with uh, Michelle Prada just because I literally cast Camila Mendez in something last episode. Like, she comes up fairly often, and I'd rather give it to someone who I haven't <laughs> used before. Well, we should let her know that she will always have work where we are. Anyways. Yes. Uh, so the other two characters I have are Barney Thompson and Bridget. Did you have anyone beyond those two? So for Barney Thompson, I have uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Got it. That's probably a fun choice. I I considered that. I've dismissed Neil Patrick Harris before because I don't specifically remember the rules, but he got canceled a little bit for some reason just because I think they said he was a bit of an ass but I don't I don't know that to be true I worked with him he was and it, it was more like an isolated incident okay um yeah my experience with him was but I don't good, know but I don't know anyone else's experience yeah. yeah that's the thing like like she was citing a single instance of that happening and I don't think someone like and this was something where I'm like I can kind of see that being dismissible it wasn't like he actually treated someone badly he just didn't remember them and it depends. And the honest truth is that the person I have is also a bit of an asshole. But that's kind of why so I, I went with them. So I didn't know that about bo- Neil Patrick Harris. My only... Um, I don't know. That, yeah. that, that, that's why I'm, I'm yeah. holding up because it was a single source. I don't know. I think he's apologized for it. Okay. And like I think like all the correct things that were supposed to happen have happened. Okay. And by all other accounts, he's very sweet. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I'm completely open to going with Neil Patrick Harris for this role. But who do you have? Um... Mine is, uh, I specifically went with someone who can do comedy, like literally the exact same style of performer as Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, this one is Tom Lennon. He, you will know him from Reno 911. He was in the most recent Odd Couple remake. He was in another period. Basically, if you're in comedy in Los Angeles, you know Tom Lennon. Oh, yeah, he's, he looks funny. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got the comedic chops for it. Yeah, and he can Correct. wear a suit. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that too. I part of why I chose Neil Patrick Harrison one I didn't know about anything um, and negative and, I, and I've worked with him and he yeah, was really and awesome when I worked that's as that's a good enough reason to go with him as any because you've worked with him and he was great yeah and he treated you well and that's fine yeah I was an AD on a commercial with him actors aren't always great with ADs but he was uh, so I have a couple of. A few more characters. The only other one I have is Bridget. I don't have anyone for Bridget. Is the is the department store? Yeah, or not the the boutique? Well, no, she's the one that no. Bridget is the one that uh, the hotel manager calls who comes in to help. Okay, she's the one who actually fits Julie Roberts in the dress. Okay, who do you have? I have an actress named Hope Davis. She is in something called Schenectady, New York. She's in Great Wayward movie. Pines. Yes, she is a good, dramatic, lovely actress. And I just thought she'd be fun. Oh, yeah. She's got the look for the part, you know. She's got the attitude, the posture, you know. It's definitely a posture. It's it's a character that is definitely going to have to have a specific posture, be able to carry off. Exactly. And so that, that that's why I thought Hope Davis would be good for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have David Morris. Do you remember which character was David Morris? Uh, was it that the old man at the end? That was his son. Ah, what what other characters did you have before before we get into that? Okay, uh, I have. Tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, 
So I believe David Morris is the son of the the business guy. Yeah. Uh, whatever. So you cast someone to be the son of the business guy. Who did you cast yes. for that role? And yeah, what what purpose okay, does that was, role serve for you? It was it was David Morris. So that's another clueless rich kid, right? Right. And I just think Jesse Williams would be great for that character. Do you know who Jesse Williams is? Are you? I'm looking him up now. Do you watch Grey's Anatomy? I do not. He plays Dr. Avery, who is the heir of a very wealthy and famous uh, medical family. Okay. But he's, he's, I think he could, I think he can play the spoiled rich son pretty well. And it would be just a cameo and it would certainly get people to watch it (laughs) if you could get him to play it. Um, And then I wanted his, his boss to be, then if we don't use Margot Martindale as his dad, the boss, then I would want to use her mm-hmm. as that character, uh, which would then imply that Jesse's father is black and Margot Martindale is the mother. And it, it all it would still work. Who did you originally have as the father? I would have uh, Carol Burnett for that character because that's the age range, and she's also funny. And that character had a little bit of humor. I would maybe increase it a bit and. Just that character had compassion. Remember when they were eating yeah, the snails? I, I think that's important. Yeah. By the way, so I did, I think you ended up convincing me. So the argument you made that convinced me to make the Philip Stuckey character, Margot Martindale, was the argument that as of this moment, we'd taken all of the women in this movie and kind of put them on a pedestal. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily true, especially with like the Kit DeLuca character, like going back and forth with drugs. But I think it's, but I think that was a good argument. And that's, that's what convinced me. So I'm happy to go with her over Joel McHale. And I think we have our cast. Um, So then let's get into writer-director. I specifically went with someone who was a writer-director because I knew you'd put yourself as director and I wanted (laughs) to lean into that. So I cast someone who was a writer-director, but I'm comfortable with her just being the writer. Awesome. Yeah, I would not want to write this. I would want to help get the right consultants, but I would not want to write it. Who do you have? So... I did this recasting shortly after uh, having recorded my Sherlock Jr. episode, which released last week, which if you haven't listened to, it's the first remake of a silent movie I've ever done. So it was super fun. So I stole my director from from Corsica. I've used her before, too, but I I just think she's great. And I thought she worked here. Um, She is the director and writer for The Spy Who Dumped Me. She is the writer for Booksmart, and she also worked on Chasing Life. Her name is Susanna Fogel. She looks familiar. Spy she who du- oh, so well, this is a comedy writer though. Spy who dumped me, book smart. She's a comedy writer. Yes. I think I would want well, comedy action and stuff. Yeah, but I, yeah. Yeah, I like the action stuff. I, I mean, have you seen the Spy Who Dumped Me? I no, I saw the preview. I did see Book Smart. I haven't seen Chasing Life. That might be interesting to see. Yeah, that one I would say is not strictly a com- I mean, it's it's there are jokes in it, but it's about someone who is like recovering from cancer. Oh, I also recommend you see the spy who dumped me just cause it's a super fun action movie. I, yeah, it's on my queue. I, okay. So here's what we would do then as a director, I would probably make notes on the script and make changes to make it more gritty. And that would actually be great because yeah, that that's why I did it this way. Oh, great. Look at you. It's like, you know, me or something, Sam. Yeah. It's as if you know me. For what a decade? Uh, 
Has it been a decade? Just about, yeah. Wow. Uh, roughly. It was the first, you cast the first thing I was really in when I moved to LA, so it's got to be about a decade. Oh my Getting goodness. Getting to that. Oh my goodness. It, it, try not to think about it. Okay. <laughs> but yes, you definitely do know me. And yeah, that would be great because uh, the humor will already be there. The flow will already be there. She has good flow. And then we could add, uh, I could add some grit. <laughs> Uh, yes, although I, I think we, I think what is important is I do think this needs to be the wish fulfillment movie that it kind of was originally. It's a, it's a wish fulfillment movie with a secret hidden message. I think that's what this movie needs to be. I think just making it gritty yeah. for the sake of being gritty. If we lose that wish fulfillment, then I think that it will fail as a remake because yeah. that won't be the spark and you know, of the original. And you know, I, I can I can pull back. It doesn't need to be gritty, but authentic. I, I want it to be authentic, more realism. And you can still have the fantasy and have realism, especially when the fantasy is w- the way we've made it, where she is empowered by saying no to this millionaire. Yeah. yeah. You know, because some people will leave the theater going, oh my God, that was so stupid. Yeah, but we're going to get that anyway. Right. Especially, but like, I think that it's important to kind of like, to ha- I, I think it's important to have like the growth and the ability to say no. Because one of the things that annoys me is when people talk about mo- that movie is they're like, and she left the money on the counter. That's how you know she really cares. Yeah. And first of all, that's bullshit because she she left the money on the counter, but she took the clothes with her, which are worth way, way, way more. <laughs> I love that you thought of that. And it's like, yeah. and it's like, oh, good. She left the money on the counter because it made her feel dirty. No, no, no. You take the fucking money. Second of all, yeah. there's that moment like towards the end where, he's, where she was like, I've been with so many people and they've never, ever treated me like a whore. And then he goes and they have that moment. And then he's walking away and she says, but you just did. It, or until now or something. And I'm like, yeah, leave. He literally just did the thing you told him not to do. And then you stuck around. But that's a, that's a separate issue. Yes. But like, I think we need to like, Still have the wish fulfillment people think they're getting out of the original Although, movie. Although, wait, with, I want to say about that. While trying to fight against the negative messaging. About that separate issue, I don't mind that being in there if it, if we explore it more deeply. So because, I agree with that. Because that happens with women all the time. It's what you hated about that one Absolutely. movie, right? Uh, the movie that I liked and everybody else hated with Harley Quinn in it. Because in my Suicide opinion... Squad. Yes, because in my opinion, they showed how they 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 did a comic book version of how people fall into of an abusive relationship. It was obviously an abusive relationship, and like I think yeah, that I, moment, I think that I think you can have good elements of a bad movie. I mean, I think the movie that did it better was the uh, Birds of Prey thing, where she's like trying to get over this. Yes, that was great. This, I love Birds uh, of relationship. Prey. But um, but what I'm saying is like having that moment in there is something that if she works through it, especially if this character is somebody who's in the program and she's doing the work, she can catch herself yeah. like, and now you've just done that. And why am I still here? What is yeah, that? I think I, I think every good movie needs to have a little bit of that sort of backsliding. And I think that that's the kind of moment of backsliding. But I do think we need to like hang a lantern on it and say, yes, this is the problem. And she needs to talk about it. Yes. But that's, but that, all that said, I'm basically saying I like the idea of making it gritty, but I don't think we can make it gravel. <laughs> okay. Copy that. I'm good yeah. with that. I'm good with that. But uh, so with that in mind, let me take you through our Pretty Woman casting. 
Edward Lewis is going to be played by Daniel Henney. Vivian Ward is going to be Uzo Aduba. Philip Stuckey, who we can just make Elizabeth Stuckey just to keep the character name uh, in universe, is Margot Martindale. Kit DeLuca is going to be Michelle Prada. Barney Thompson is going to be Neil Patrick Harris. Bridget will be Hope Davis. David Morris, the son, will be Jesse Williams. With James Morris, the mother, being Carol Burnett. All of this will be written by Susanna Fogel and then directed by our very own Tame Hatsios. So, Tame, you going to go see the movie you're going to direct? Yes! <laughs> cool. It's going to be fun to make, too. So then, uh, thank you so much for being a guest this episode. Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote? Or social media you'd like people to follow? Well, you can go to my website, www.metahara.com. And I'm available as a consultant, a producer, director. I'm also writing. Uh, thanks to the pandemic, I've got three pilots going. So, woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Metahara.com. Cool. And do you, do you have social media you want people to follow or no? Uh, they can find me through the website. www.metahara.com has all of the links. Thanks to Rebecca. Got it. Who you know. If you're interested in following me, I am at Sam Gash on Twitter, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, or you can follow the podcast, Ideal Remake, on Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Instagram, or join us on Facebook at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. And since it's now December, if you want to do something from the bottom of your heart to get into the giving season is to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us or any podcast you enjoy a five-star review. People talk about this at the end of every podcast, but it genuinely is extremely helpful. If there's any podcast you enjoy, a really simple, easy, and free way to show that you appreciate these podcasts is to leave them a five-star review. It's amazing. So with all of that said, I will end with this. Tame, what is your favorite quote from the movie Pretty Woman? Beck and call is all that can come to my mind. I'm not at your beck and call. I don't know why. It's a terrible quote. But beck and call. 